glad to be with you tonight. Looking forward to uh, uh, sharing the word again. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Nick Sandifer. Uh, I am with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I was here a couple weeks ago, shared with you about friends. Uh, no, wait, I didn't. To share with you about Jonah, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm getting confused here. Um, uh, I, I want to make a pledge to you. I, I'm probably going to be with you for a little while on Sunday nights, and here's my pledge. I will open up the Bible, and I will preach the Bible to you every week I'm here. Uh, you won't have to worry, are you getting Nick's opinion, or are you getting the Bible? I will give you the Bible, I will show you that I'm giving you the Bible, and we'll walk through it together. I'll also pray for you. You know, I, I, I will. Uh, I'm gonna, I've already been praying for Thrive Service, I've been praying for Burlington Baptist Church. Some of you I know by name, a couple people have asked for specific things, and I've already been praying for you. I will do that. I'm also here on Mondays, uh, I'll be working with the staff primarily, uh, but if you need to talk, um, you can shoot me an email. If we can work it out, I'll meet you on Sunday afternoons while the band's practicing or something. Or, uh, you know, you can uh, meet me on Monday sometime. I'm, I'll be here half a day. Be glad to, to do that if I can. Uh, and, and I hope to make some friends, to be honest. You know, I mean, uh, it's a, uh, I'd be, what, what a waste of time it'd be to be here for a few months and not make some uh, good friends while I'm here. Uh, if we're going to serve together, you need to know a little bit about me. Uh, I am... Uh, not a product of a Christian home. Uh, my parents did not raise me in church. Uh, they loved me. I, 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 I almost feel guilty sometimes telling my story because I sh you, know, you hear people with really warped stories of parents who neglected their responsibility and just weren't there and checked out. And, man, if your parents were not there, I, I'm so sorry because I, mean, I, I, I can't even imagine my life without my parents. I'm so grateful for them. And if you've got kids, understand how much they need you. They need you. Uh, but uh, my parents were there for me. I never one time in my life doubted I was loved. They did love me. They were faithful to me. But there was something missing in my home. They didn't have any spiritual foundation they were pouring into me at all. We had a Bible that was on our coffee table in our living room. Uh, my dad got it when my uncle died when he was 44 years old. Some guys at work gave him a Bible in a wooden case. It was white. I remember it. I was little. Uh, my dad listened to old Southern Gospel records about twice a year. And that was kind of the extent of my knowledge of, uh, of God. And so, uh, a miracle of all miracles, a 10-year-old boy got pulled away from the altar of Sunday morning football and by an 80-year-old couple who asked him to go to a church of about 40 people in the middle of nowhere. And somehow God worked in my heart, and I said yes. And after a couple years, God helped me to know that the truth was real about Jesus. And I accepted Christ as my Savior. About four years later, I was called to preach, served in the church near Owensboro with youth when I was 18. I was a kid myself, uh, but I worked for two years there. Uh, became a pastor in a little town called Lewisport, Kentucky. Uh, pastored there for uh, five years. Lord was really gracious. We saw the church grow. Moved to a place where there were 75 Stevenses in one congregation. That's a true story. Now, there was a whole bunch of people who didn't have a last name of Stevens, but they were Stevens too, really, you know, just by marriage and different things. Uh, but uh, that was an interesting experience. They loved me. I loved them. I was there for about four and a half years, I guess, and then I spent the last 13 years, 13 and a half, almost 14 years uh, in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, where I pastored a church called Edgewood. And uh, I, I just want to tell you this just to lay a little foundation. Um, it was a small church, about 150 people. Um, they were dying. They were old, very, very old. Uh, there were about 100 of them in the uh, sanctuary class. And for those of y'all who don't have any idea what a sanctuary class is, it's a Sunday school class that meets in the sanctuary while everybody else is going to the sanctuary. And typically the reason you do that is people can't walk twice. 
They're so old it was just too difficult to... I mean, I'm not meaning that. I mean, it's the truth. Or they're too mean and they, didn't, they wanted to make sure they got that place or whatnot, you know, uh, and didn't want to take a chance on somebody else getting it. But anyhow, th- th- they, had a, they had almost 100 people in their sanctuary class. And so it was, a, it was an old congregation. I'll never forget the first deacons meeting. I asked them, what do you see here in 10 years? And they said, we'll be dead and you'll be looking for a job. True story. I'll tell you more of that at another time. But God was gracious. Uh, the church took off. I'll tell a story of what kind of happened there one of these days if the Lord gives me an opportunity. Um, but we grew to about 850 every week. We relocated to about 30 acres, built a new sanctuary, and had four services on Sunday with three Sunday school times. So that's kind of my story. God called me away from that. I love those guys. Still love them. Oh, my goodness, when they call, my day lights up. You know, when somebody from Edgewood calls, it's just like home. Uh, I, I thought about it. If I'd have died when I was there, I'd already told my wife I was going to be buried there. Uh, just kind of, you know, it was the deal, and I, I really loved them. But God called me to the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I work with about 400 churches now. So blah, 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 enough about me. All right? Let's, uh, l- let's move into the text tonight. Okay, we're just going to jump right in. The last time I was here, we talked about Jonah. Okay? Jonah... Um, is a prophet in the Old Testament. You might be familiar with this story. Um, in chapter 1, God calls him to do something, uh, but he says no. And so what we learned in Jonah chapter 1 is that Jonah was a disobedient prophet. Uh, he, he's really the only prophet in the Old Testament that is directly disobedient to God. There was false prophets in the Old Testament who were disobedient, but the only one who's considered... I mean, you got your name on the Bible, I guess they consider him a good guy. You know, it, it, the only one that we know who is, was a rebellious guy, really rebellious prophet, was, was Jonah. Uh, and what we learned last week was Jonah was a prophet on the run. Uh, Jonah... Um, he didn't like what God asked him to do, and the theme of all of chapter 1 is that he was running from God. Uh, he goes away from what God asked him to do. God tells him to go to Nineveh, this wicked, wicked city. We're not going to go over that again. Uh, I'll never forget one time I preached about how wicked Nineveh was and the people of Assyria were, and somebody said, did you really have to tell us all that? You ever, y'all remember any of the stuff I told you about them? You know, skin them alive, stake through the tongue, skulls in a pyramid, nasty, ugly stuff, uh, the people of Nineveh. Uh, but in, when God says, I want you to go preach to the people of Nineveh, Jonah says, I, I don't think so. And I mean, I, I, I understand. You know, who, who wants to go do that? I mean, who wants to go preach to Louisville fans or stuff like that? I mean, who wants to go preach to people? I'm sorry. <laughs> who wants to go to preach to people who, who Louisville fans are okay. Most of them. But who wants to go preach to people who you think might want to harm you? You know? And that's where, that's where Jonah was at. Um, when we realize, what we realized last time, or what I wanted you to realize, is there's Jonah in all of us. I get there. God tells me to do something. I don't want to do it sometimes. I mean, God, you want me to give to help that person go on a mission trip? Wait a minute, God. I can't go play golf next week if I do that. Or, God, do you want me to give up my vacation to go help build a, a habitat house? Ooh, wait a minute, God. I only get so many weeks off. Or, God, you, I mean, we've all got that in us. We, we know when God asks us to do something, there's a part of us, that sinful part of us, that wants to do uh, our own thing. And so we, 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 we understand, you know, many people, if they shared their testimony, would tell of a time where God's will was in their rearview mirror. You ever had that in your life? 
You know, maybe you just checked out on God. You know, maybe you were raised in church and you went, you went to school or to college or high school and then you checked out. And then it wasn't that you didn't believe. It was just that, if, you know, if you followed him, you'd have to change some things. And you, were, you thought you were having too much fun. And you weren't about to turn around. And you knew he wanted you to change. But then one day you ask yourself, why am I running? And maybe you turn back to God. Maybe that's where you're at. Um, tonight, what we're going to do is uh, we're... We're going to talk about what happens to those of us who didn't turn around and ran hard. Y'all ever known anybody? Maybe you were it. You got any stories to tell where you ran hard from God's will? What about those guys? Because Jonah ran hard. He runs so hard that a storm gets sent uh, on the ship that he's sailing to get away from God. Uh, it's getting so bad that these expert sailors say, what are we going to do? And Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat because he's like, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go out sleeping. And so he's asleep in the bottom of the boat, and they come and wake him up, and, and they say, Jonah, do something. We're going to die. And Jonah says, ah, you just need to throw me overboard. It's my fault. You know, and so they say, no, no, we can't do that. And they pray, and But eventually it doesn't get better, and so they ask God, please forgive us for what we're about to do, and they pitch Jonah into the sea. And Jonah thinks that's going to be the end. He thinks he's going to die, it's going to be over, but of course God has other plans, and God prepared a fish. Uh, I always think it's the craziest thing when people argue, was it a whale or a a big fish? I just think that's dumb. You know, it's, it's big something that ate Jonah. It's bad either way, right? It's icky either way. So anyhow, uh, Jonah, uh, God prepares this fish and this prayer, uh, th- this, this uh, chapter 2 that we're going to look at tonight is Jonah praying. But before we get there, what I want you to realize is Jonah was, did, Jonah was a prayerless prophet. Uh, I, I think it's interesting in chapter 1, prayer is mentioned like six times. You know, the captain's praying. The, the men on the ship are trying to figure out what's going on. The captain says everybody needs to pray. The captain goes to Jonah and says, you need to pray. Everybody's praying except the person who should be praying, the guy who knows God. He's the only one who's not praying in all of chapter 1. Uh, and, and it's almost like he's saying, you know, I'd rather die than talk to God. Just throw me overboard. And so, of course... Uh, instead of dying, he ends up in the stomach of the fish, and God got his attention. And inside the fish, here's where we start in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord from the stomach of the fish. And if there is ever a duh statement in the Bible, that's it. What else do you do when you find yourself stuck in the belly of a fish? Well, well, I guess you pray. Well, of course you pray. I mean, it's what you do when you're in those type of situations. There's no atheist in a foxhole, Right? Uh, did any of y'all watch the series Alone? Any of y'all watch that? I, I was fixated by that. I don't know why. I mean, every week I was watching the same old thing, men eating fish and stuff. That was about it, you know? But I watched it until the... And at the beginning of the season, it's these guys who get stuck on this island with mountain lions and bears. They're not near enough to each other to, uh, to be able to communicate, but they're by themselves. And it's not one of those by themselves where people are you know, filming you at day and going and to stand in their hotel at night. It's by yourself filming yourself. Last one standing got $500,000. Pretty scary deal, really, when you think about it. But those guys were all out there. And at the beginning of the show, they're manly men, and they're doing their thing, and they're cut, their stuff, you know? By the end of the show, everybody who's left is praying. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're miserable. They're talking about the Creator. They're talking about their spiritual experience. They're talking... That's just what happens. When we find ourselves in a mess, it drives us to pray because there's something in our being that knows 
that we need help when we find our backs against the wall. And when we don't know where to turn, humanity turns to God uh, because it's just in us. Um, Jonah's in the fish, and he starts to pray. Now, for those of you who have your Bible open tonight, I'll teach you something maybe. You might already know this. Has anybody noticed that your type is different in your Bible? You notice that? I mean, a lot of it's in paragraph form, your Bible is. But then all of a sudden, when you get to Jonah chapter 2, it looks different. That's because it's written in poetry. If you were to read this, you know, uh, Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 goes naturally to 2 verse 10. You could read it. It's not up here right now. But you could read it this way. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. And then verse 10 says... Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. That's kind of how the story goes. But in the middle of that, we have what Jonah prayed. Now, how did we get that? Well, I think Jonah probably wrote it down, a poem of what he did uh, whenever he, uh, what he said when he was in the middle of the fish. And, and so tonight, that's kind of what I want us to focus our attention on. Now, I really don't understand how this happens, how you survive three days. I, I don't get it. Uh, all I know is a bad prophet didn't sit well on a fish's stomach, you know? Uh, but anyhow, Joe gets on, Joe, can you imagine Joe, Jonah getting out on the beach and, you know, Sam the surfer dude sees Jonah for the first time? Uh, you know, can you imagine that conversation? Where have you been? And why do you smell so bad? You know, I, I don't even like to eat fish because after about two hours you can still taste it. And if you go into a place where they've been fine, frying fish, you can still smell it on people. Can you imagine how bad he stunk? But anyhow, after three days, here he is. He's, he's, he, he's telling now his conversation with God in the belly of the fish. And what we gain here are some insights that truthfully teach us a lot more about God than they teach us about Jonah. So let's learn some lessons about God. Back to verse 1. Next slide. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. Verse 2 says, uh, And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. The first lesson I want, to learn, want you to learn about God is this tonight. When we finally decide to pray, good news, God decides to listen. When we pray, God listens to our prayer. And that's amazing because God could have said, Why should I listen to you? What have you done for me? Uh, if you've been constantly on the run or you've come to the end of your rope and your life is in a mess, let me ask you this question. Why would God listen to you? You know, somewhere in our American mindset, we think God owes us one. But really, why would God listen to us? What have we done to deserve? Think of Jonah. If you're, if you're in the belly of the fish, oh God, I promise if you get me out of this... You know, it's kind of like you have your first wreck or you do your first wrong thing and your parents find out about it. Oh, God, if you'll get me out of this, I promise that I'll be good. You know, and I mean, of course you will, Jonah. What else are you going to say in that moment? You know, Jonah says, from here on. Well, there might not be a from here on. But the great news is, is when you're at your wit's end, God hears your prayer. When, when you decide to pray, God listens. Now, I'll be honest. I, you're lucky I'm not God because I've given people biblical counsel all my life and they'll go out and do exactly the opposite of what I tell them. What do you think I should do, preacher? Well, here's what I believe the Bible says. And they'll go out and do the other thing. It'd be, I get frustrated. It's kind of be like my dietitian. Can you imagine how frustrated they might be with 
<laughs> with me. I don't ever listen uh, to what, what they tell me. But the good news is God is not like us. And in our despair, SOS prayer is better than no prayer at all. When we did what we knew we should not do, when we turned back to God, God listens. God hears the prayer of the runner. And here's the other good news. God hears you, and he is working in the midst of your mess. I, I, I don't want to go into this too much, but to be honest, um, I've had times in my life where I messed up and I didn't think there was any way God was working. But God was. Notice verse 3. Listen to what he says. And he said, I, for you, for, verse 3 says, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Do you notice anything about that? What's that Bible say about circumstances in life? They were rough. Read the first line real close. Who threw Jonah overboard? Yeah, yeah. See, we want to blame the sailors. We want to blame Jonah. But Jonah gets in the belly of the fish, and he recognizes something. Man, the circumstances that came my way, if we believe there's a God who created the heavens and the earth, and, I mean, he put everything together, and we believe there's a God who was before everything, who had, and there it was. If we believe that there was this great big God who is the Alpha and the Omega in the beginning and the end, then everything that happens in between, we have to almost think that he understands beforehand. And maybe even had a plan for beforehand. Um, oh God, you cast me into the deep. You have cast me. Um, well, wait, when you hit rock bottom, here's what you'll discover. The circumstances you hate. The debt that's about to take you down. The consequences you face that have been hard, all the stuff that makes you mad, your boss, your parents, your events in life, all the stuff that's about to bring you down one day when there's some distance between you and you're reconnected with God, you'll realize that it was a God thing. Jail, an audit, foreclosure, a pregnancy, a tumor. God uses things to get our attention. Now, that's not God paying us back. It's God bringing us back. You know, uh, God didn't do this to punish Jonah. He did this to restore relationship with Jonah. And the circumstances we hate, even the events that take us down, there'll come a day that we'll look back and we'll say, you know, that was God. You might not be able to see it today, but one day you can. And then this is another lesson we probably need to learn tonight. And I need to start getting toward the end of chapter 2. But God's discipline is not always gentle. It's just not. Uh, in fact, it can seem so extreme that we would never imagine that God would let something like that happen. Let's read a few verses pretty quickly. Verse 3 says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Your current engulfed me. Your breakers and billows passed over me. It's rough. Verse 4. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I look again toward your holy temple. In verse 5 he says, Water encompassed me to the point of death. 
The great deep engulfed me. It's like he's drowning in there. Seaweeds wrapped around my head. You're talking about imagery. Verse 6, he says, I descended to the roots, to those deep parts of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you brought, me, brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. And then verse 7, he says, While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. You know, I, I, I've thought about this. How long do you think Jonah was in the belly of the fish before he repented? Like four seconds? I mean, I mean really, you know, I mean, I didn't, I'm not smart, but I can figure this one out. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I thought she was going to kill me, not this. You know, but how long was he in the belly of the fish? Three days. You, you, you seeing how this point pulls together here? You know, uh, uh, we, God gets his attention and he repents immediately, but for three days he's got seaweed around his head. And I, I just say that because sometimes the discipline that God allows to come to our life, we, we think if we pray and we come to church, it's going to get better immediately. It might not. You know, I mean, circumstances happen. He allows things to happen so that we'll learn. Verse 10, back to verse 10. This is, Then the Lord commanded the fish. He vomited Jonah onto dry land. And, uh, you know, and I even thought about this. If God lets you stay longer in your mess than you think you ought to, or you want to, when God gets you out, shouldn't it be easier than getting vomited? I mean, that's unpleasant. You can love your kids and hate vomit. You know, I mean, right? You know, I'll take care of my kids, but I hate it. You know, it never gets better. It never got better for me. You know, and, and here, here's, couldn't you think there would be a better way for God to bring Jonah back? I mean, couldn't he just like Captain Kirk him? You know, do y'all know, am I way too old? Is that an old reference? Couldn't he just like immediately, you know, here he is? You know, a hologram, t- couldn't it have been something like that? But instead, he says, no, 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 I think I'll do it this way. Uh, when God decides to bring you back, it might be extremely rough. And this is a consistent pattern of Scripture. The nation of I- Israel was exiled for 70 years. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert before they got to the promised land. David lost his influence and his son because of an affair. It's consistent with Scripture that sometimes God's discipline is rough. And then I would even say this, and this is a point that I hope you get tonight from the message, and that is sometimes God loves you enough to scar you. I'm raising teenagers right now. And I've had to wrestle with the prayer, God, do I want them to behave or do I want them to believe? God, do I want them to look good or do I want them to love you? Now, ideally, in Dad's eyes, they will look good and love you. They will behave and believe. But I've had to get on my knees before and say, Oh, God, if it takes pain for them to trust you, God, I'd rather them go through pain. You know, sometimes... God, God, God allows us to go through that. And, and you might feel like the pain is a little bit more than you deserve. You know, I'm getting jail time for jaywalking. That's rough, God. But sometimes, God, we're so rebellious in our heart, it might not be coming out outside, but we're rebellious in here that God has to allow us to face hardship so that we'll, 
will learn. Um, sometimes circumstances and consequences can seem far more than we deserve. But Hebrews 12, 7 reminds us in the New Testament, he disciplines those he loves. Because he wants you to learn to trust him and he wants you to learn to obey him. Um, you know, uh, some of you are, I don't know, I, we've got a pretty young crowd here tonight. Uh, some of y'all have had kids, some of you are going to have kids. I know every part of you is going to want to be a helicopter parent. Y'all know what a helicopter parent is. You hover over your kids all the time, protecting them from anything that might harm them. There will come a time in your life that you will have to get to a place where you're willing to say, God, I understand that consequences of actions are the way that you bring people to yourself. Um, I know everything in you wants to rescue your kids from pain, but when we do this every time, sometimes we prolong our pain and theirs. Uh, we short-circuit the thing that God may want to do in their life that scars them a little bit to save them great pain later on. And if you want a, the shortest route to embracing your values, allow your kids to experience the consequences of their rebellion of you. All right. Next point. When we run from God, we're running from the blessed life. Uh, verse 8. Did you notice this when you were reading through this? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah had an idol, and it was Nineveh dead. Assyria dead, not a prophet going in there and preaching and them getting saved. We're going to read about that a little bit next week. But he, them being dead was his idol. But those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit what they could have themselves. And I think uh, the point that, that we need to understand is that, that God's grace that will be the best thing you ever experience might come in a package that you never expected. I believe the primary reason that most of us run from God and what he wants from our life is because we think we're going to miss out on our fun. We're going to miss our good things. Somewhere in our mind, we believe that there is a person, a career, a context that will make us really happy, and somehow we've come to believe that God's going to get in our way. And so we say, God, I'll see you later when I'm done having my fun. And so we forfeit the grace and love of God and pursue idols. Verse 9, he says... Uh, well, let me read verse 9 for you. I don't think I have it up here. Let me tell you what verse 9 says. He says, But as for me, I will sacrifice to you. I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will fulfill what I vowed. I'll do what I said, Lord. He got his attention. And Jonah said, I thought I could save myself from unhappiness, from guilt and loneliness. And, and some people are waiting for that magic day. You know, it's going to get easier. It's going to get better. I'm going to have more in the course of... And you need to understand, if your course is doing opposite of what God wants, you're going to be disappointed. Maybe tonight you're here and you realize that you're far from the grace of God. Uh, you know, our God's a God of second chances. He is absolutely a God of second chances. For a, a guy who said no. Man, y'all come on up and let's just look at a couple more verses here. We've read this one enough to where I don't even want to read it anymore. Jonah has an exit strategy. Trust the Lord this time. And then the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And he says, go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give you. And then the Bible says that Jonah obeyed. 
and the word of the Lord. Uh, that, that came to him, he, he fulfills his vow, and he goes to Nineveh. You know, let me tell you some good news tonight. You know, all the sin and junk and consequences that you face, you might think God can't use you. But I want you to understand that's probably what God will use in you. God takes your ashes and he brings beauty out of it. I, I hope you get that. You're not listening to a preacher who's got it all together and knows everything and he's done the right thing. I was saved when I was 16 and I've struggled maybe in different ways than you have, but I've struggled. I've blown it. I've popped off at my kids. I've let my eyes go places they shouldn't go. I've listened to stories about people that I shouldn't have listened to. And then I got up and preached. You know what that is? That's a disobedient prophet. That's what it is. And there was a time that I thought, oh God, you must be finished with me. Because, you know, I got into the church game to where I looked just right and I said what was right in public, but then I had kids and I was starting to realize they're going to grow up and they're going to see a different guy. And I thought, oh God, I want to be the same dad on Sunday that I am through the week. So I just had to turn to God and say, God, would you forgive a guy who his heart ain't always there? And would you forgive a guy who doesn't always say the exact right thing? And would you forgive a guy who takes for granted his kids and his wife? And would you forgive a guy who hadn't got it all together all the time? And you know what I found? God says, I was waiting. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to get there. See, I love the real you more than I love the pretend you. I love the you that is honest, and I love the you that recognizes you can't handle it by yourself. And our God's a good God that way. He doesn't discipline us because He hates us. He disciplines us because He loves us. So what we need to do is stop running. Maybe you're at the end of your rope tonight. You know, I, I, I don't know this crowd well. Uh, some of you I've met, some of you I don't know, but maybe you're at the end of your rope tonight and you've just been saying, God, I need to get right with you and no more games. You know, uh, We're going to have a time where you can come to the altar and pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll pray with you. Somebody else will pray with you. You can come. Maybe tonight you just want to come and say, Oh, God, thank you for your grace. Five, ten years ago, I was heading down the wrong path, but thank you for your grace. And you know what communion is? When we take communion, we're saying, It's your blood, Jesus, that cleanses me from sin. It's your body that paid the ultimate price so that I can have a second chance. Thank you, dear God. Maybe you want to come tonight and you want to say, You know, I've never been a believer, ever. But you know, I'm starting to feel God moving in my life and I want everybody to know I'm a believer and, and, and I, I'm not ashamed of that. If, if you want to do that tonight, I just ask you if you'd come just tell me that. So I, want, I, I want everybody to know I'm a believer. I want to profess faith in Christ and I'd love to tell you what happened to me the night I first did that. How I gave my heart and life to Christ. If you're here tonight and one of those things apply to you, if you'd like to give tonight, you can give. as an act of God, I want to obey you and I want to give and use my resources for your good. If you want to do that, you can do that as well. 
We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. God speaks to you, won't you come?